0: Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. Today's speaker is Father Michael Kaiser. Today, of course, we celebrate the great and holy feast of Pentecost, the time when the Holy Spirit is given to the world, to the Church, and to all of us first on the disciples, but on all the believers as well. The Holy Spirit is a little hard to get a handle on. We're used to dealing with Jesus, whom it is easier to relate to because he is an incarnate being. But the scripture tells us that God is spirit. God the Father has no physical form. Occasionally, you'll see him, you know, depicted as an old geezer sitting next to his son in heaven—the old, the ancient of days, or whatever. But God the Father has no physical form; He is pure spirit. God the Holy Spirit is pure spirit. I mean, that you know, would be a no-brainer. Only the second person of the Holy Trinity, the Word, who became incarnate, who took a human body and a human nature and joined it to his divine nature so that he became a unique being is one that is, in that sense, depictable, became visible. Now, through the scriptures, the Holy Spirit is referred to by several analogies. Sometimes he's referred to as appearing as a dove or at Pentecost as tongues of fire or flames of fire. That doesn't mean he's either a bird or flames. You know, clearly says as, not is. So it's making an analogy so you can kind of get a sense of of what uh, the Spirit is. Jesus himself says, The Spirit blows where it wills. You know neither where it comes from, you know neither where it goes. You know, it's sort of like, you know, there's a flash of something that goes by you, you know. And as a result, You know, we sometimes wonder, well, what what is it he actually does? Jesus himself in the gospel today gives us one clue, and that is he will remember what I have taught you. He, He will help you to remember what I have said unto you. Okay? So you will not forget. So you will not forget what I taught or what I said, and this will abide in his church and in you, specifically the apostles but also to all believers, that he will help you to remember what it is I have said unto you. In a sense, the Holy Spirit, I guess, if you want another analogy, which is not biblical, is both coach and referee, or perhaps cheerleader and referee. As coach, he's the one on the sideline saying, sick him. Okay, line up this way. Yeah, we're going to go for a short pass. We're going to go for a long pass. We're going to move on down the field. Okay, As referee, he makes sure that game is played within the boundaries and according to the rules. In other words, he is the safekeeper of the doctrine and teaching of the church, of the traditions and practices of the church. So as coach and referee, he guides, directs, impels sometimes, Fills with enthusiasm sometimes. That tends to be an individual sort of thing, uh, depending upon our our own particular personality. What he doesn't do is directly control us. He's not the marionette. He's not the puppeter that keeps the marionette going. Because everything that God does in terms of interaction, either through his word or through his spirit, And that's the only way he can react to his creation or interact with his creation. And you see, that's the problem with Unitarianism, whether you find it in Christianity or in Islam, that God is only one being who at one time is the father and another time is the son, another time is the Holy Spirit. This really gives him no way to interact with and to love within his creation. It makes it impossible for us to reach him or for that matter for him to reach us. But through his word, who is incarnate as Jesus of Nazareth, and through his Holy Spirit, who descends as the tongues of fire, this is how he communicates and interacts with those of us who are in his creation. And all of that is always consistent with that pesky little idea, which is freedom the freedom, the exercise of free will, the exercise of our conscience that we so insist on and which are so afraid of and mess up so continuously. The reason that God told Adam and Eve not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was that they were in effect children they were newly created beings. They had no experience of living. They had no experience of, of the world in which they lived. It had just been created. Well, they allowed Adam to name the animals and that sort of thing, and they did a fairly decent job with that. But the fact is, you know, physically they may have been grown-ups, but spiritually and emotionally they were children. I wouldn't sit a five-year-old down an attempt to explain the holocaust to them or attempt to explain actual death to them because there are concepts such as evil and death which they're simply not prepared for. And the reason tempted them to go ahead to eat of the fruit of that tree was to lead them into knowledge that they weren't prepared to digest and to act according to and to deal with. And this, of course, is exactly what happened. Adam is accused of sinning, and he said, No, it wasn't me, it was her. We learned very quickly. You know, it was the woman you gave me, I should point out. I didn't ask you for her. She just woke up next to me one day, you know. And then Eve was also very quick footed and said, No, it was the serpent. He talked me into it. It's actually his fault. Poor snake's fault was he had nobody else to blame. We were not; They were not emotionally mature enough to take responsibility for their actions. And in a sense, ever since then, God's been trying to help us to grow up so we can stand on our own feet, kneel on our own knees in repentance, and take responsibility for our lives and for our sins. God has no desire to be worshipped by infants, although he accepts their joy when they give it. He wants to be worshipped by mature adults who take responsibility for their actions and supposedly know what they are doing. And so everything the Holy Spirit does is not to press button one or button two to get some kind of reaction out of us, but to whisper, to guide, to lead what St. Elijah referred to as that still, small voice of God which comes to us in our hearts. Sometimes people say, well, do you talk to God? Yes, I talk to God every time I pray. I also talk to God every time I drive. Uh, I talk to God many times, as a matter of fact, sometimes in rather rough and difficult terms. Excuse me. But yes, I talk to God. And they say, well, does he talk back to you? I say, well, it depends upon what you mean by talk. If by talk you can accept the idea of a quiet confirmation of action, or a sense of anxiety, or dis-ease with what I wish to do or have done, then yes, he talks to me. Not many other people he does it differently with. You know, I can only speak for myself and what happens with me. But if I am fervent in prayer about an action that I think should be done or want to know what should be done, and if the ultimate result of that is a sense of confirmation, then that's my yes. If, on the other hand, I keep running into obstacle after obstacle after obstacle, and problem after problem after problem, in terms of something that I wish to do, that eventually I usually take that for a no. There are no accidents. Things happen because they're allowed to happen, but there are no accidents. And normally, if I act on the confirmation, on just that quiet, Comfortable confirmation that yes, this is the right action, it turns out well. And if eventually I keep bullheadedly pushing my way through to something that just has problem after problem thrown in the way of getting it done and get it done, it usually turns out very, very badly. Now you notice I keep using the word eventually it would be really nice if God would write down a memo pad for us every single day what he wanted us to accomplish during that day and gave us directions for the next day and the day after that and the day after that but that would keep us infantile it would keep us childish there are some people who through because of mental or emotional difficulties and breakdowns you have to do that with and as a priest you need to learn that Yes, Evelyn, you go now, now now you go to the store and you buy groceries there. Okay, good. Now you go home, now you eat them. Okay. But that's relatively rare. Most of us really are competent of being let loose in the wild. We just don't always act as if we were. And the fact is we are adult enough and mature enough to be able to plan and discern God's will for our own lives. And it is in that process of discernment and confirmation, or not confirmation, that the eventually comes in. The only way you're going to learn God's will is to learn about Him. That's where our knowledge and continuous study comes through. The only way you're going to learn God, the only other way you're going to learn God's will for you is to talk to him. And that means prayer whether you're doing that in formal prayer, whether you're muttering to him as you go along, whether you're mumbling as you're stumbling through something, you're talking to God. And most of the problem that we have with that is that we think this is some sort of monologue. This is reading to God the minutes of the previous meeting so he understands what he missed. But he didn't miss anything. He already knows everything from before the creation until after the consummation of all things. We are the problem, not God. Our understanding and our acceptance of his will is the problem. So we pray regularly and persistently. And sometimes that takes a while. Sometimes it takes a while for God's will to be revealed, either because we are not ready for it, or we simply refuse to pray for it, or to, 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 to really ask for it. There's a story that's told about a, a pastor uh, who comes home very excited to his wife and tells her, we've been given a marvelous opportunity. They want us to move to Hawaii. I'm going to go to upstairs and pray about this. You start packing, because he was already convinced he was going to go to Hawaii. Okay? wasn't waiting for God to confirm what other people had suggested he should do. Patience, persistence, and perseverance, and the mistakes we make along the way, is how we learn to discern God's will for us in our lives. And then having discerned it, not just sitting back and looking at it and saying, well, gee, what a grand idea but actually going ahead and doing it. But he expects our brains and our souls, the thinking part of our souls, to be engaged in this process. I suspect he's rather tired of feeding us pablum. He's tired of spoon feeding us. We have to be proactive about this. God, what is your will for me? What do you want done? And if you do that every day of your life, then gradually, as you are mature enough to deal with it, the Holy Spirit will respond. The Holy Spirit is always with us and is there to help us in our great times of need. St. Paul, in his Epistle of the Romans, tells us in the ninth chapter that you don't have to worry about what words you're going to use to pray because the holy spirit is always praying through us with groans he says that are too deep for words at those times of great sorrow at those times of great fear at those times of great joy when we're so overcome we can't find the words we need we don't need to worry about that because God the holy spirit is praying through us in precisely the language God will understand, and we simply have to allow that process to go on. We have been taken into the life of the Holy Trinity, of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let us rejoice in that. Let us exercise our freedom and be responsible for it, and let us always seek God's will, and having found it, do it. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. God. Bless. Talks at Advent. Homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox Mission in Atlanta, Georgia.